following is a teaching message from Shaw Community Church. For more information on Shaw, for our teaching resources, visit www.shaw.org.nz. All right, we're going to carry on our series this morning in Isaiah. Um, so far, so good. No lockdown in the last couple of weeks, so I think we're safe to carry on. Say the word, Isaiah. We're going to carry on. Some of you, that means nothing to you. You're like, what are you talking about? That's all right. Uh, so Isaiah 55 is where we will be today, and uh, we're working through the, the, last, um, well, the last section of Isaiah, which is a really hopeful, forward-looking kind of section. It's a book that's pretty rough, the first half of it, a lot of judgment and some pretty dire messages for Israel there, but this... 40, chapter 40 onwards is so hopeful, so full of grace and promise. And that's where we're focusing um, over still the next month or so. So this morning, Bradley Hoxman is going to come and read this passage to us, Isaiah 55. Thanks, Bradley. Isaiah 55, verse 1 to 7. Come, all you are thirsty, come to the waters, and you who have no money, come, buy and eat. Come, buy wine and milk without money and without cost. Why spend money on what is not bread, and your labor on what does not satisfy? Listen, listen to me, and eat what is good, and you will delight in the richest of fare. Give ear and come to me, listen that you may live. I will make an everlasting covenant with you, my faithful love promised to David. See, I have made him a witness to the peoples, a ruler and commander of the peoples. Surely you will summon nations you know not. And nations you do not know will come running to you because of the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, for he has endowed you with splendor. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call on him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake their ways and the unrighteous their thoughts. Let them turn to the Lord and he will have mercy on them and to our God, for he will freely pardon. Thanks, Bradley. so when I, when I started writing this message, I remember it was a Wednesday morning, and I was sitting down at my laptop, I had my coffee, I, I'd done the work in the, in, in the passage, had my outline, I was ready to go, ready to write my sermon, and sitting there, and just nothing, nothing, nothing was happening, nothing was coming to me, so it's going to be a good message this morning, it's going to be great. <laughs> Yeah, be looking forward to this. And uh, I don't know if you've had that, that experience, not necessarily writing a sermon, but writing anything like that. When you can't write, the longer you wait, the worse it gets. You know, and you're just looking at this blank screen. Like, this is, this is not happening. What's, what, this is going to be a disaster. I've got nothing to say. This is going to be embarrassing. And the minutes just sort of tick over. And, and nothing, nothing was coming to me. So um, in all this time that I had just to sort of not write anything... Uh, I started kind of reflecting and thinking about why this was and what was going on. And, and to be honest, I think what was happening was not just that I, I had some kind of writer's block, but to be honest, within, within myself, I was totally disconnected from God. And I, I, I wasn't at all tuned into his presence. I wasn't, I wasn't listening to him. I wasn't really attentive to the voice of the Holy Spirit. Uh, I didn't, didn't feel God's presence at all. Couldn't feel a thing. Uh, I just felt his absence, really. And I was tired, I was groggy, I was grumpy, I was, you know, I just was in pretty bad headspace that morning. And that's a pretty tough space to write a sermon, 
in, you know, when you're in that sort of space. I mean, I imagine that probably a lot of your jobs, if you're feeling like that, you can just still slog ahead and you'll be fine. You know, like if I was a plumber, I would just keep fixing pipes. But when you, uh, you, you have a sermon to write and you are just feeling totally disconnected from God, that's a very hard thing to do. And it's just hard to plow ahead and just kind of slog that out. But that was the kind of space I was in. And then it, it kind of, there was sort of a, a dawning, I think, of realization that this passage that I was supposed to be preaching on actually speaks right into exactly how I was feeling that morning. And that this particular text that I was struggling to get started writing any sermon on is actually a text that addresses those emotions that I was feeling, all that negative emotion, all that tiredness, all that emptiness, all that absence of God. This passage actually speaks to that. It speaks to people who are feeling absent from God. It speaks to people who can feel absolutely nothing of God's presence and feel really alone and just empty on the inside. And I started to realize maybe God knew what he was doing here. Uh, Maybe God actually had a plan. Maybe God had brought that passage along to speak into my life because he knew that I needed to hear it before I preached it to you. I think that's probably what was happening, that I I actually needed to be the first hearer of this sermon before all of you. And so God just brought it into my life at a time that I was feeling pretty low and pretty down to let that passage work on my heart before it worked on your heart. So probably God was just having a good old laugh at me that day. I I didn't find it funny, but he was probably just having a good old laugh. And that's how this sermon started. So there you go. Uh, This passage is written into a time in Israel's history where where Judah as a nation had that sense of being separated from God. And they were feeling far from him because they were in exile. They were literally a long, long way from their homeland. They were a long way from Jerusalem. They were away from the temple. They were away from their land. They weren't sure if God was still with them. They weren't sure where God was, whether he'd abandoned them, whether he was back in Jerusalem while they were in Babylon. And so they had this sense of dislocation from God, this sense of alienation from him, not being able to sense much of his presence at all. And I think that what they experienced at a national level is what I felt at a personal level. And I'm guessing what you feel sometimes. Is that right? Am I the only one? No? Yeah, we're prepared to be a bit honest this morning. Is that right? A couple of heads nodding. Yeah, maybe a few more later on. So I think we feel like this. I think there's probably some of you that are feeling like that now. I think there's probably some of you that have been feeling like that for a long time, if you're honest with yourselves. I think for a lot of us it comes and goes. But at the heart of it is that sense of God's absence. And you just can't feel your faith. Like, this is a common experience. We're not, I know maybe we're not supposed to talk about this stuff in church or whatever, but this is so common that we just don't feel our faith. And it can be surrounded by all sorts of other negative emotions. You can feel self-pity. You can feel shame. You can feel guilt. You can feel anger. You can feel bitterness and resentment or whatever. Uh, and it's often as well, let's be honest, accompanied by tiredness and exhaustion. I know it is for me. But at the heart of it is the experience of God's absence. At the heart of it, you just don't feel God. And that's a hard place to be. Right? You've been there. You know this. It's hard when you don't feel your faith. C.S. Lewis describes it like you hear the sound of a door bolting when you try to pray and locks on the inside like God is just locking you out and refusing to listen to your prayer. That's what it feels like. And even if we know that's not objectively true, that's what it feels like. We try to pray, but we feel like God is just slamming the door in our face and our words fall to the ground. 
So the good news is this is a passage where Isaiah, God through Isaiah, is speaking right into those times. It's often an experience that we think of as a desert. Right, through history, this is an experience that Christians have described as a desert, a desert experience. We feel dry on the inside. We feel barren. We feel like our heart is just this arid wasteland. It's a desert experience. And Isaiah is speaking to people in the desert, in that kind of desert, in a figurative sense. And it's a word of hope, and it's a word of encouragement, and it's a word of promise. So I hope you can receive it, especially those of you that are there at the moment, and you feel exactly, this is, I just, I feel nothing. Well, this is a word for you. And if you're not there this morning and you feel like, what are you talking about? I feel God's presence 24-7. You know, I'm awesome. Well, you can go to the back of the room, okay? But I'm imagining that probably for you, it is coming that time. If it's not there now, it will be one day. So now, if you're feeling full, wonderful, prepare yourself for the hard time that is coming. If you're in the fertile land, prepare yourself for the famine. Prepare yourself for the desert. I'm not trying to be the bearer of bad news, but in one season, we should prepare ourselves for the next, shouldn't we? And so even if you have a full heart and soul and you feel on, 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 top of your, on top of everything and you feel your faith, that's wonderful. But take this word in faith and let it prepare you for a season when maybe you don't feel so close to God. So I want to just simply look at three words that Isaiah says in this passage. Three simple words that he says, which are words of invitation to us in the desert. The first is the word come. Have a look at verse one. Come, all you who are thirsty, come to the waters. And you who have no money, come, buy and eat. Come, buy wine and milk without money and without cost. What do you think he's emphasizing here? Right, when the Bible repeats words like that, that's a sign that we should take this seriously and something's being said to us. The word come, God is saying, come to me, come to me, come to me. Three out of four times, it's the same Hebrew word, the word halak. And it just means to walk towards, to walk towards. And, and the images of someone who's, who's in the desert and who is desperately thirsty and all they want is a drink. Someone who's desperately hungry and they have nothing to eat and they're desperate for food. And if you had someone offering you a cup of water when you were dehydrated, you would walk towards that. You would run towards that. If you had someone offering you bread when you were desperately hungry, you would walk towards that. You would run towards that. And yet here's the thing. When it comes to God, when we don't feel connected to God, when we feel God's absence, what we tend to do is not walk towards him. What we tend to do is walk away from him. Is this right? It's just me. What we tend to do is to walk towards other things rather than walk towards God. When you already feel far from God, we tend just to reinforce that by distancing ourselves even more from God. And just because it's too hard. When I don't feel my faith already, it's too hard to pray. When I don't feel my faith, it's too hard to talk to God. It's too hard to do anything like that. So I'm just going to shuffle further and further and further away from God. And what we tend to do is we will walk towards things that give us a quick fix. Because when you're in that place, you know this, when you're feeling in bad headspace and you have negative emotions swirling around within you, what you want is just to feel better. right? What you want is for your emotions to be soothed. What you want is to be comforted. What you want is a quick fix. What you want is distraction sometimes. And so what we will do is we will walk towards things or people that give us that quick fix, that just fix our immediate emotional problems so that we can just feel a bit better, or at least just get our head out of where we are and just distract ourselves with something else. So the easiest way this happens is with your phone, right? Has anyone else had this experience? This is so often my reality of sitting down, 
got, got the Bible open. I'm ready to have my quiet time. And the phone is there. And you just sort of feel your hand just going slightly this way. And, you know, just quick check of the email. Because when you're there and when you're not feeling it, it's hard, right? But the phone's easy. Because that, surely I just need to know what the weather is going to be tomorrow. You know, I just quickly need to check if someone, if someone has emailed me. You know, I just, just need to see if there's any update to that news story I was looking at. You know, and that's what's right there. Now, maybe that's the problem, that the phone is right there. But that's what happens, because that's easy. And actually, what is happening underneath, if you just go to social media, you just go to news, you go to email on your phone, there, there is actually this sense of emotional soothing that happens. You just feel a bit better. What you're doing is distracting yourself and avoiding the reality of actually having to encounter God. So it could be your phone. It could just be distracting yourself with work or, or just the tasks of the day. That's all much easier to do than trying to engage with God when you're not feeling it, isn't it? It's much easier just to bury yourself in admin than it is to actually try and connect in some way with God. And then sometimes it's harmful stuff. Because again, remember, what we're trying to do is make ourselves feel better. So then we can turn to drinking, medicate ourselves with alcohol, can turn to pornography. I mean, that's essentially what's happening when you look at pornography. You are emotionally soothing yourself. You, you, are, you are essentially stuffing something to try and avoid the pain of what you're actually feeling. You're just stuffing something in the void to try and just give some distraction and some thrill so that I don't have to deal with the ugliness of what I'm actually feeling right now about God or about my situation or about whatever. That's what's happening, all these things. It's not really about the thing itself. It's about us trying to plug the gap in our soul with something other than God. And so we go to these things and we try to make ourselves feel better by doing a hundred other things rather than walking towards God, which is what he invites us to do. And Isaiah is so insightful here because he tells us exactly where this ends up. He tells you exactly what the result of this is in verse 2. Why spend money on what is not bread? And your labor on what does not satisfy. What he's saying is, yeah, you can run after all that stuff. You can go to the drink. You can go to the online gaming. You can go to the, to the pornography. Or you can just go to phone, social media, work, admin, whatever. And that might make you feel better just for a few minutes. That might just give you a quick pick-me-up, and it might just emotionally soothe you for a little while. But you know what? Five minutes later, that's gone. The buzz is gone. And what's left? This dull, throbbing ache in your soul has not gone away. In fact, it's worse. Why? Because now there's guilt, and now there's shame. None of that is addressed by any of these other things that we do, and yet how quick are we to run after all of these other things and use our phone to distract us when ultimately we spend our, our time on this stuff, our money on this stuff, our mental energy on this stuff, and it doesn't fill the void in our soul and I think we know this at a deep level, and yet we still do it. We've known this for so long. You know, St. Augustine pointed it out in the fourth century. Our hearts are restless till they find their rest in thee. You're always going to have that void, that restlessness. And running after a hundred other distractions is not going to take away that deep pain and that throbbing of your soul. And all the, all the while that we're running after all this other stuff, God is standing there. And he's saying, I just want you to come to me. He's standing there in the desert where you are. And he's saying, I'm inviting you to come to me. He's saying, I am the water of life. 
Yes, you're dry and you're thirsty on the inside. I have, I am what you need. Why are you going running after all this other stuff? Well, I know why, because it's easy. But I have what you need. He's saying, I am the bread of life. I can, I can satisfy you at the deepest level of your soul. Why are you going to run after all this other stuff? Try and satisfy yourself. I know it's easy. I know it's the go-to, but I am the one who can truly satisfy you. And this is where God works in the opposite way of those other things you're using to try and distract and medicate yourself. That God does not say, I will give you a quick emotional fix and I'll make you feel immediately better. He doesn't say that. Your emotions may not change, but God says, you come to me and I'll start work at a deep level. Come to me and I'll begin to pour my healing into your soul. And I'll begin to work at a much deeper level than just your emotional feelings. I'll begin to work in your innermost being to truly satisfy you at a deep level. And you know what? You might not feel a thing. This is where we've got to get to, I think, in our Christian lives. Do you know that that song Waymaker has that line, even when I don't see it, you're working. It's really true. Even when I don't feel it, you're working. Do you believe that? I think most of us sing it and then we don't live it. We don't really believe it because what we believe is my feelings define me. And if I can't feel my faith, well, do I even have a faith? What we've got to believe is that we can come to God even when we don't feel him and believe that he's working in our lives. Now that's not easy because, well, you don't feel God's presence. But what it means in really practical terms is this. It means coming to God and talking to him even when you can't feel his presence. Even when he feels a billion miles away, you can still talk to him. There will be times when every fiber of your being doesn't want to do that because it's too hard. I can't feel him. This, this feels ridiculous. I just don't want to do it. I want to just dive into work right now. Be still and hear God again say to you, come, walk towards, walk towards me. I know it's not easy. Walk towards me. Now, you don't have to use a whole lot of flowery language when you do that because you might feel really fake about it. And you might feel like, well, I, you know, if I just come to God, I'm just pretending everything's okay. No, you're not. Not at all. I'm not saying come to God and tell him, hey, God, I'm feeling awesome and I've got my happy face on and aren't we awesome? No, you don't need to use those words. Use the words of the Psalms. Use the words of the Psalms of lament. How about that? How about saying to God, how long, O Lord, will you hide your face from me? How long will you look the other way? Have you rejected me forever? Have you cast me off forever? Now you say, I can't say that to God. What's in the Bible? You're allowed to. David said that to God. Isaiah said that to God. Jesus said that to God. Or have you forgotten what he said on the cross? My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? That's a, that's a cry of a desperate man. That's not someone who's just putting on a happy face and pretending everything's okay. The Psalms give you language to express the gut-wrenching cry of your soul when you feel nothing but the absence of God. You might as well use those words because they're, they're written by people who have been exactly where you are and exactly where I am. You can cry out to God. You can shake your fist at them if you want. You might feel like that's irreverent, but what's the, what's the alternative? You're going to bottle it all up? You're going to let it out in unhealthy addiction? None of that's what God wants for you. It is always, always, always better to move towards God. To be honest, I think I can say this, even if you're moving towards him in anger, 
than moving away from him in resentment, disappointment, and defeat. It is always better to come to God, even if you're coming to him, to cry out to him, shake your fist at him and say, how long, O oh Lord, are you going to let this happen? How long am I every day going to wrestle with these thoughts and have such sorrow in my heart? That's Psalm 13. You can say those things to God. It's always better to be there with God saying those things to God than just straight out walking away from him. So can I encourage you to learn this? And I know you can, you can say yes, 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 but this is not easy. In those moments when you feel nothing except darkness, absence, and desert, would you still be willing to walk towards God and, and talk to him and just be brutally honest with him and pour out your heart and tell him exactly how it is? That's the first step in the deep healing that God will begin bringing into your life. Don't do that with the expectation that your feelings will immediately change. They may not. You may be in the desert for a while yet. The difference is God's in the desert with you. He's not waiting for you to get out of the desert to come and meet with you. He's going to meet you right there in the desert. So come. It's the first word of invitation. The second word is the word listen. Have a look at verse 2, halfway down verse 2. Listen. Listen to me and eat what is good, and you will delight in the richest of fear. Give ear and come to me. Listen that you may live. Again, what do you think Isaiah is emphasizing here? He's not making it difficult, is he? He's using the same word over and over and over again. Listen. That, that phrase, give ear, it literally means stretch out your ear. Stretch out. We, we might say lean in. Lean in and listen. So here's the thing. When you're in that desert space, what happens typically is that you start listening to a voice. This happened to Jesus when he was in the desert. A voice came along. Whose voice was that? Wasn't the voice of the father. No, no. It was the voice of the evil one. It was that voice that came along and started saying to him things. Started saying to him, if you are the son of God, turn that stone into bread. There's a quick fix for you, right? If you are the son of God, throw yourself down from the temple. If you are the son of God, I'll give you all of the authority in the world if you worship me. That's the voice. Now, in a different kind of way, our desert experience will be exactly the same. In the desert, you're going to start hearing a voice. And it will sound like a voice just going on in your own head, but it is the voice of the evil one. And he's going to come and he's going to start sowing all kinds of doubts, and all kinds of lies, frankly, in your mind. And your lies might sound really, really different to the lies that Satan tried to uh, impress on Jesus. Because Satan knows exactly how to exploit your weaknesses. He went after Jesus, he'll go after you. So your lies that the evil one comes and tells you might be lies like, you are hopeless. You're absolutely useless. You're incompetent and you're incapable and you don't deserve this or that and you're going to do a hopeless job of it. It might be lies like this situation is a total catastrophe. It's an absolute nightmare and it is going to blow up in your face. It might be lies like you are unlovable and unworthy. You really don't have anything in you that is deserving of anyone else ever paying any attention to you. Those are horrible things even to hear, aren't they? Even though I'm just saying them in the abstract. But do you know what? If you tune into that self-talk in your mind, this is exactly what the evil one will come and do. And why did he do it to Jesus in the desert? Because Jesus was tired, because he was hungry, and because he was thirsty. He'd been in the desert for 40 days. He was weak. The evil one is going to come to you in your weakness. He's going to come to you when you already feel negative and you're in bad headspace and you can't feel God's presence. It'll be exactly those moments. The evil one will just slide in there 
and he will start to tell you those lies. And it's not going to be enough just to say, I won't listen to that voice. What you need to do is replace that with a different voice. There has to be another voice that you listen to. What was the voice Jesus listened to? It is written. It is written. It is written. What did he do? He listened. Jesus had read Isaiah too, right? He knew this passage well. And when he was in the desert, he listened. And he listened to the words of the scriptures that he already knew and had been taught since being a boy. And he began listening to a different voice. This is what you and I need so desperately. We don't want it in those moments. We just want to emotionally soothe ourselves and half the time give in to the lies. But what we need to do is listen to the voice of truth. And that voice of truth is in this book. It's as simple as that. I know God speaks in many ways and he'll speak to you through the prompting of your heart and he'll speak to you in creation. All that is absolutely true. But he will primarily speak to you through this book, through this word. Let me just show you something. I've got a picture here if you want to stick that up, Murray. This is um, it's a bad photo, but that's the back page of my journal. So I, I don't really journal that much these days. I don't write much in my journal, but in my, on the back page of my journal, it's just a list of verses. And those are verses that over the years I've collected as verses that are specific to the struggles that I face. And they speak into struggles. So I've, I've shared with you before one of the things I experience is anxiety. So there's a bunch of verses there that speak right into the struggle that is anxiety. And the Bible talks about anxiety. There's verses there that talk about the anguish of soul and, and what it means when you're downcast and you don't feel anything of God's presence. Notice a lot of those verses are in the Psalms. I just feel like the longer I'm a Christian, the more time I'm spending in the Psalms. Isn't that funny? I feel like as kids, we think the Psalms is this little fluffy songbook. And if you want the meaty stuff... You go to Romans. Man, the longer I'm a Christian, I'm just loving the Psalms. There is a depth and a richness in the Psalms. And there is a Psalm for every occasion, a Psalm for every mood and emotion, a Psalm for every day, isn't there? And if you don't like this one, just turn to the one next door because it'll be totally different. And the Psalms are just a wonderful place to go. There's the depth of lament there, Psalm 13, Psalm 88, and so on. And there are wonderful Psalms of thanksgiving. And I have found that these, these verses... So when I'm, when I'm in a place of just negative headspace, particularly anxious, there are times when I will just go to this list and I'll just start working my way through. And I cannot tell you how much of a lifeline that is for me. Honestly, it's not even something I do to try and be a good Christian. I do it because it works. I do it because it feeds my soul. I do it because this is how God speaks to me. And this is how he, he enters into my experience of anxiety and comforts me in the middle of it. And so I go to these verses and, and others, and I'll just spend time there, and I'll read them, and I'll try and read them slowly, and I'll consider them, and meditate on them and sometimes I'm doing that and have absolutely no sense of God's presence at all but I know this is what my soul needs I know this is what it means to come to God I know this is what it means to listen so I'm trying to listen through those verses of scripture so I want to encourage you whether or not you've got a journal whether or not you write them down but have some voices you've got to you've got to ask yourself the question what am I listening to when I'm in the desert are you just going to listen to whatever voice comes into your head because nine times out of ten it's not a good one or are you going to listen to the voice of God in the desert revealed through his word? Start being a collector of scriptures that speak 
to the desert experiences that you have, that speak to the struggles that you have. And if you don't know your way around the Bible, ask someone. Ask one of our pastors, ask a life group leader, ask one of our elders. We'd love to tell you. Nothing I love more than helping direct people towards scriptures that are going to be important to them. If you feel like I can just n- never feel God's presence and I just, don't ever, I just feel lonely and I feel totally abandoned by God. Well, you take Psalm 46. God is our refuge and strength, an ever-present help. An ever-present help. You allow those words to marinate in your soul and it will begin to work on you and begin to teach you something different than the voice you're listening to. Or or Hebrews 13.5, I think it is. Never will I leave you. Never will I forsake you. If you just feel totally condemned and you feel like you're unworthy and unlovable and and God's not interested in you. uh, Romans 8.1, there is no condemnation. For those who are in Christ Jesus, speak it to yourself, speak it to your soul, say it over and over again. It is a healing balm on the wounds of our soul to allow these scriptures into our lives. This is what it means to listen. And so start collecting these verses and these scriptures and begin listening, especially when you subtly hear the voice of the evil one begin to agitate and begin to speak those lies to you. This is the voice of truth. So listen. Finally then, Uh, Final word is turn. In verse 7, Isaiah says, Let the wicked forsake their ways and the unrighteous their thoughts. Let them turn to the Lord and he will have mercy on them and to our God, for he will freely pardon. So what happens in the desert a lot of the time, even though it's not your fault that you're in the desert, but what happens when you're there is you start to slide, don't you? You start to slide into selfishness. You start to slide into old habits. You start to become the worst version of yourself because you're empty. Your tank is empty. You're emotionally depleted. You've got nothing to give. So you start being grumpy, agitated, emotionally withdrawn, whatever it is. I know I do. That's the experience of the desert. And we can slide into addiction and we can slide into destructive ways of relating to people and relating to people close to us. We can slide into destructive ways of thinking, whether it's bitterness or resentment or lust whatever it is, and we can just become the worst version of who we are. And then, of course, what happens is we just are then covered in shame, and that just compounds the problem. So now we're in the desert, and we're just feeling horrible about ourselves because we've made a mess of being in the desert, and we didn't walk towards God. I walked towards all these other things. Now I feel 10 times worse about myself, and so this day is just a write-off. I'm going to try again tomorrow. And so you just give yourself over to whatever patterns that you're already indulging in and hope that tomorrow is a better day. That's been my story time and time and time again. So if we're going to seek a better way in the desert, we need to follow Isaiah and turn. And turning, that, that's at the heart of the word repent. That, do you know that's what the word repent means? Just to turn. It means I was going this way. I'm going to turn around and go this way. I mean, repent's a heavy word, isn't it? We, we think of it being on like a sandwich board sign, repent. But it's just, it just simply means to change direction, a turning. And that's what God is saying to us in the desert. He's saying, turn around. You're going down this path. And I know it's natural for you because you're just consumed with yourself at the moment and you're consumed with self-pity and that's taking over and it's leading you into a downward spiral. But turn, turn make a decision. Turn away from that. Turn away from something destructive. Don't let this be a spiral. Turn and turn towards me. Turn towards life. 
Even though you can't feel God's presence, I know it's hard, but make that decision to turn away and turn towards God. And as you turn towards God, here is who you find him to be in these phrases. He is the one who will freely pardon. He is the one who will have mercy on you. That's how Isaiah describes God. He's not standing there with his arms folded, is he? What's he doing? Standing there with his arms open. Right? He's the father. He's your father. You're his prodigal child. And you and I can be fairly prodigal. But he's standing there with his arms open. Not to judge, not to condemn, not to lecture you, but to say, welcome home. And again, even if you don't feel that that's what's happening, and, you, and those feelings of unworthiness and self-pity, they will linger for a while. Even after you come to God, right? Have you experienced this? You can come to God and ask for his forgiveness. And for a while, those feelings of self-loathing, they stick around. But don't worry. Again, don't be defined by those feelings. Don't let those emotions define reality for you. You allow God and his word to define reality. You come to him and you allow him to tell you again who you are, your beloved, his beloved son, his beloved daughter. And over time, over time, your feelings will change. Over time, your feelings will catch up. But don't let those be the barometer of how things are going between you and God. You come to him, turn towards him, and he will freely pardon. Let his grace, let his mercy just wash over your life. Remind yourself again, even if you can't feel it, that he is the God who freely pardons you because he's the God who's gone to the cross for you. And this is what we're remembering at Easter, right? That he is the God who has gone to the cross. And on the cross... Jesus is the one man who lived who truly was abandoned by God. Right? You and I feel abandoned by God, but that's not our objective reality, is it? When you feel abandoned by God, are you actually abandoned by God? No. God's right there. You just don't feel it. And okay, that's legitimate. But Jesus is the one person who could say, when I felt abandoned by God, I was. Because I hung on that cross. And the Father's presence was withdrawn. And that's the cry of dereliction. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He was God forsaken. But he did that so that you would never have to be. So even in those moments when you feel forsaken, you can say, I know, God, that you are with me. I can't feel a thing right now, but I know that you are full of grace. I know that you're full of mercy, and I know that because of the cross. I know that because Jesus was God forsaken on my behalf. That's the one place that you can look, and that will tell you what is true. Don't look inside your own heart to tell you what is true. Don't look inside that voice in your own head to tell you what's true. That's often lies. Look to the cross and you can see there what is true. That crucified saviour who has been forsaken so you would never, ever be forsaken. So nothing could separate you from the love of the Father. So turn, turn away from sin, turn back towards God and he will freely pardon us. So you think about that desert experience, maybe you're in it now, maybe it's coming up for you. I know that we feel like those desert times are awful times, and they are really, really hard. But I want you to try and see that the desert can also be a place of transformation. It can also be a place, even though we don't feel it, where God is working and will work to bring renewal. And he will do that because Jesus has been in the desert for us. And when he went in the desert for those 40 days, he did what we, what we would never do, what we could never do, because we don't have the strength to do it. He did walk towards God, even though we walk away. He was faithful to the Father. He did listen to the words of Scripture, even though we so often don't. He did that. 
And he didn't trust himself and didn't succumb to sin, but turned towards God and placed his whole life in God's hands. Whereas so often we don't. And because Jesus has done that for you in the desert, because he went through those 40 days, he comes to you now in your desert. And he says, I'm right here. I'm right here. I know you can't feel me right now, but I'm here. I'm here. Some of you just need to know that today, that he's with you in the desert right now. You don't feel a thing. That's okay. He's still there. And he is saying to you exactly what he said when he walked this earth. Come to me. You who are weary, you who are burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Learn from me. I'm gentle. I'm humble in heart. You will find rest for your souls because my yoke is easy and my burden is light. I know it doesn't feel light. Some of you feel like it's very, very heavy. But Christ's burden is light and he invites us to come. He invites you to come today. Whatever you're carrying, whatever you're feeling, whatever kind of emptiness or the absence of God's presence or a heavy burden, he invites you to come to him and he invites you to lay it down before him. Lay it down at the foot of the cross. Hand it over to him. Cast that fear, that burden, that anxiety onto Christ because he cares deeply for you. And allow him to remind you that even in those times when you feel dry and hungry and thirsty and barren on the inside, he is right there with you. And he's still inviting you to come and to listen and to turn. He's with you in the desert. He's going to be with you the whole way. He will never leave you or forsake you. So let me pray over you this morning. And I'm, and I'm conscious of those of you that are, that are in that place right now. And I just invite you, if, if that's you this morning, just to open your heart to God. Even though you might feel, well, nothing. Even though you might feel really numb today. I want to invite you just to open your heart to God. He already knows. He already sees it all. And so, Father, I want to pray now for each person here who is in that desert place today, who just can't seem to make sense of it and can't sense anything of you. And maybe even as they've heard your word this morning, it just doesn't, doesn't seem to go in. It just seems to fall to the ground. I want to pray, Holy Spirit, now for your power just to fall afresh on the lives of those men and women in this room who just have that profound sense of absence. And, and they don't know how to find their way back to you, God, but I pray you would reveal yourself to them now by your Holy Spirit as the one who is right there and remind them you haven't gone anywhere. You are much, much closer than they could ever imagine. Let them see you there this morning, Jesus, I pray. Even if they don't feel it, even if the emotions aren't there, let them see you. And, and give them, I pray you would give them the strength of faith to walk towards you today. And to take those steps by faith, not by feelings, but by faith. To say, God, all right, I don't, I don't feel it. I don't want to do it, to be honest. There's so much in me right now that's crying out against this. There's so much in me that wants to go in the opposite way, but... God, I'm going to walk towards you. And I pray that as they do that, Jesus, that they would find that deep satisfaction of their soul that comes from you. That you would fill them in the deep, deep places 
whether or not they feel it, but that they would just, they would just know it in their innermost being, that you are there and they are safe and they are with you. We thank you that you are God in every season of life, in the highs and the lows. And we pray, Lord God, that in those tough times, that you would remind us of these truths and remind us of these words from your word to come, to listen, and to turn. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. This has been a teaching message from Shaw Community Church. For more of our teaching resources, or to donate to our teaching resource ministry, or for more information on Shaw Community Church, visit www.shaw.org.nz. Alternatively, you can email office at shaw.org.nz or phone 09 415 0455. Thank you for listening.